As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to All the F Words. A podcast where two writer friends, nearly 30 years apart, explore everything we give an F about. I'm Gabby Moskowitz. And I'm Joanne Green. On each episode of All the F Words, we'll focus on a theme starting with the letter F. Themes like femininity, fanatics, failure, and fake news. We'll share stories from our lives and our distinct generational perspectives and look to the experts for insights and ideas. Today, we're going to talk about freedom, how it has always meant different things depending on who's doing the talking. Are you suggesting that the Canadian truckers in the Freedom Convoy are not talking about freedom for LGBTQIA people? Precisely. When Rand Paul, for instance, talks about freedom, it is very different than, say, what John Lewis was known for. There's a lot to unpack here. There sure is. Um, this is not a new thing, and I have been very bothered by this in particular since um, COVID has spread and we've been hearing Americans maybe more so than other people elsewhere around the world, talking about the freedom to either be vaccinated or not be vaccinated, wear a mask or not wear a mask. And it seems that, and we've mentioned this before on the show, this tension between freedom for the individual and freedom for, you know, protecting the greater societal good, you know, when those bump up against each other. But It turns out this has been going on for a very, very long time, where conservatives, like since the 1770s, have been, in, in, in Europe first, have been really describing freedom as freedom for the elite, right? Mm. That we, we who make the laws, should be allowed to make the laws to protect our interests, our property. And if you were to extend that, quote, freedom to the masses, it would result in anarchy. So mm -hmm. super interesting. So Gabby, I ask you, as someone who grew up as an American and as a Jew, you had that word freedom pounded into you. I am sure mm -hmm. that freedom was yeah. 
the be all and end all. So what did it mean to you? And what does it mean to you today? Hmm. I think it mostly means access. When I think about freedom, it makes me think about um, uh, access to everything I need to be able to make my own decisions. Um, but that it's interesting as a since becoming a parent, the essential concept of freedom has really shifted for me, especially now parenting a um, almost four year old who has been, you know, as she's gotten older, earning certain freedoms, earning um, the ability to do certain privileges. Uh, but also she's, uh, you know, three and a half, four, and isn't, doesn't have the um, capability of handling certain things. And it makes me think a lot about how freedom in general is approached because it, we can't say um, that we can't, there's not really such a thing as 100% freedom in a civilized society, right? Because there needs to be boundaries and control. Um, and that is something that I've been wrestling with a lot lately. Like, what, where, do, where are the lines, you know? So when we're raising a child, we, we talk often about their earning these privileges, right? So it's mm -hmm. freedom is something that you show that you have good judgment, therefore you can have more freedom. I know as my kids were growing up, when they would start to make poor choices, we would reduce their freedoms. Mm -hmm. So is freedom something that should be earned, even if you're talking about like a society at large? Well, I think there are there are essential freedoms, you know, but like body autonomy with a little kid is a, a so this is something that comes up in the gentle parenting um, community conversations that I'm a part of, like uh we want our kids to have body autonomy, right? We want them to be able to say no and we want their no to be respected. But as their parents and as the the adults in charge of taking care of them, there are certain things that they may not want to do, but that we need to do to take care of them, for example, right? Like if your kid is sick and they need to take medicine and they don't want to because it's yucky or they don't feel like it or they're just having a day where they feel like pushing back, but they need to take it. So then figuring out how to both respect their freedom and get the thing taken care of so that their other freedom, which is the freedom to, you know, have a healthy body is taken care of, um, is really, it's, it, it's a tricky needle to thread. So, um, well now, so take yeah. that and, extra <laughs> and extrapolate that to society. So we know yeah. we who pay attention to science that if you get, um, the vaccine, Oh, One of the vaccines, right <laughs> all right, and get boosted. This will reduce your chances not only of contracting COVID-19, but of spreading COVID-19 to other people. So there are those who are reading a different set of so-called facts, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I might call that fake news. Um, and right. they say they want the freedom to not be vaccinated. They want the freedom to not be wearing a mask because they don't believe um, this set of truths that I, mm -hmm. I am calling truths or I am calling fact. So it, it really begs the question of, you know, we can't run a society with parents ruling over kids. In right. effect, that's what the conservatives are saying, though. That the elite, and this is again going back hundreds of years, the elite 
knew better. The elite mm. read more. The elite mm-hmm. was able to say, this is the way it should be. Therefore, we can't let everybody have a say because if we let everybody have a say, chaos will ensue. Pandemics will yeah. spread. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, I think in, in a situation like like the vaccine, it, I think what the question that it begs is, uh, sh- sure, if we say fine, um, you get you have the right to choose whether or not you get the vaccine. The question becomes, do you have the right to go into any large crowded space that you want? Do you have the right to go into concerts? Do you have the right to go into restaurants? Um, and I think as I can really see why this is tricky and why this is a very nuanced thing, but I can see how as a pro-vaccine person, I would say, no, you don't have the right to, you don't have the inherent right to do those things if you're not following the rules of the institution. Now, that becomes very tricky when we give institutions the right to make rules because they could make rules that are sexist or racist or other things that I don't agree with. Um, but And they've been in, known to do that. And they have been known to do that many, many times in different ways. But I think we are all feeling really intense about this because to those of us who believe that this pandemic is real, it is a matter of, it's literally a matter of life and death. Absolutely. You know, I don't know if you've been reading much about this Freedom Convoy, the truckers mm. in Canada and their supporters um, who mm-hmm. actually, you know, number, uh, big big numbers. And they're doing things not only like pulling up in front of government buildings and honking their horns incessantly, you know, just completely mm-hmm. annoying everyone in earshot, but showing up en masse, unmasked, at soup kitchens and demanding to be fed. Oh, God. I mean, that brings up all kinds of issues, right? Um, in addition to that, defecating on the property of people who have pride flags flying outside, defacing public property. I mean, it's gotten really out of hand. And they are flying the freedom banner. They are the freedom convoy. So Hmm. it's interesting. I read a piece in um, the New York Times the other day, which we have referenced in our show notes about ugly freedoms and There are so many cases going on right now, not only in terms of defending people's right not to wear masks and not to be vaccinated, but for instance, banning the the teaching of critical race theory. The Virginia governor, Glenn Youngkin, proposing legislation to protect freedom of thought. In Florida, lawmakers, thankfully this actually went down, but debating individual freedom bill that would limit the discussion about race and discrimination in schools and also in businesses. In Georgia, the Freedom Caucus um, was created to keep um, dangerous ideologies out of school. And then in Iowa, this Parental Freedom Education Act, again, voted down, but it would have allowed parents to prevent their kids from learning anything that they found objectionable. Can you even imagine this? I mean, it's really uh, taking the word freedom and playing a little fast and loose with it. And uh, it makes me think of, um, it feels like a buzzword almost, like like you throw freedom into the title of a bill that you're trying to turn into a law or 
you, you know, add tax freedom onto the front of something you're trying to sell as um, better than the um, than the, the rule that's being applied right now. And it's like it's it makes me think of of kind of um, misleading advertising on uh, foods that are not, in fact, quote unquote, healthy, where they put 100 percent natural or something like that. Like it's uh, it, it. Yeah, I don't it's like misleading, it. but, you know, people co-opt words. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. And they always have. But the the concept of freedom, I think, is really different, falls into a different category, because if you look at U.S. history. I mean, whites were free to own slaves. Mm-hmm. That was just because something was legal didn't mean that it was necessarily good. Not only were they free to own slaves, they were free to torture, rape, and control these individuals for the rest of their lives. It was it was free. Husbands were free to beat their wives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who could vote? Right. That was, again, just determined by white men with power, white men with money. Yes, being a white landowner was what made you somebody deserving of freedoms. These ugly freedoms, by the way, I want to mention the name of this writer. She wrote this piece in the New York Times, but also has a book out called Ugly Freedoms. Her name is Elizabeth Anker, and she's a professor of American studies at George Washington University. This, this whole idea that gave way to and created the terrain in which white supremacy could rule in this country, right, could be mm. the system under which everything else created. Then freedom was talked about as essential to emancipate slaves. It was talked about in terms of suffrage. It was talked about a lot in terms of workers' rights movements. And it was really when all these waves of immigration from Europe came through and industrialization happened and there were suddenly enormous needs for workers in not only industry, but even as farming got mechanized. Um, And then it was like these workers needed needed rights. Mm. Um, It's so interesting. I, I raised the question at the beginning, Gabby, about the the messages that and I don't believe it's just Jews. I think it's it's the whole Judean Christian story that starts in the Bible or in the Torah with Adam and Eve. Like how much freedom should human beings be given? And it was a test. Should we right. you know, here's a temptation. Here it is, this big shiny apple, which maybe wasn't even an apple, who knows, but a piece of fruit. Well, it, it also calls into light that particular story and so much um, in the the whole, in, in probably every religious text. Uh, the So there there's freedom, but there are also consequences, right? So right. She, she eats the apple, she gains the knowledge, and then they get kicked out of the garden. So, and I'm certainly not saying that that's how things should be. But it, it's sort of, if we think of freedom and consequences as um, the natural order of things, and I'm really not married to this concept, I'm just kind of playing with it. But if, if we think of freedom and consequences as sort of the natural order of the universe or of society, the way that societies are run, 
you can have freedom. You have free will. You can do whatever you want. And generally, there are going to be consequences that impact you. So, you know, you, you eat the apple, you gain the knowledge. The big guy in the sky doesn't like that. So you get kicked out into the wilderness and then you got a deal. So, I mean. Well, it depends on who's making the rules, right? And that's <laughs> yeah, always sure. been the case. Who is in control? Who is making the rules? Who gets to decide what freedom even is? And how do we pick who is making those rules? And, you know, in democratic countries, how, how are we choosing the people who are going to be making the rules and enforcing Right. Them? I mean, if you look at our Constitution and all of the sort of original documents, to me, it's pretty clear what the founding, okay, fathers, I'd like to say fathers and mothers, I'd like to say the founding parents, but let's be real. It's pretty clear to me what they meant and what they what kinds of freedoms they were trying to protect for us. Um, but how can mm-hmm. it be that up to 50% of this country sees that differently than I do? How can the Voting Rights Act not have gone through? I, I, I just, I don't understand. The, the, the whole idea, the, the, the whole, adva- what was it called? The Voting Rights Advancement Act that John Lewis was promoting before his passing and that, of course, many people have carried on since then, making Election Day a federal holiday so workers could vote. Pretty simple, Mm -hmm. right? Improving Mm -hmm. voting by mail. We were in a global pandemic. It wasn't safe to go to the polls. There were lots of places where people didn't have a choice. They had to risk their health in order to preserve their right to have a say in the election. How how are those not freedoms that need to be protected? Well, I, you know, I think it reminds me of what we talked a little bit about in our friendship episode. Um, you and I live in both physically and on the internet in, um, in a, a bubble that's very, we're surrounded by people who are very like-minded. And so our definition of freedom and what constitutes freedom and who gets freedom and who who decides um, what freedoms everyone is entitled to and who enforces that, we're all pretty much on the same page. But I, one thing I always try to remember is even if I wildly disagree with our counterparts, with people who you know, um, did not vote to protect voters' rights and who don't um, think that you know, women should be paid as much as men and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and who don't think that, you know, vaccines should be required for schools or that there should be mask mandates, et cetera, et cetera. Those people are, are being raised by and they're surrounded by other people who they're not just looking at all the facts. And we, and I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'm, I am a lefty liberal all the way. I like the bubble and the vacuum in which I live, but I'm also not looking, we're also not looking at not just all the facts, but all the pers- all the possible perspectives because we're so surrounded by our own perspective. And I just, when I start feeling like humanity is, you know, going to, going to hell, uh, I try to remember that the people who believe what they believe are not inherently bad people. They're just trying to do good by everyone who surrounds them. And they grew up and were raised with and are surrounded by different values. 
but values are values. And maybe not even different values. I would submit, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I've been thinking about how to have civil discourse with people with whom Mm -hmm. I radically disagree on a lot of these issues. And I've been looking into different programs that are going on throughout the country to open those kinds of doors. And, you know, the folks who started StoryCorps, there's a great story on a recent episode of 60 Minutes about this new program, the, the name of which is escaping me at the moment, but it's it's the same people who did StoryCorps. But instead of having people interview people whom they know and love, they pair up people from two different sides of the political aisle who have something mm. in common. You know, maybe they both are pastors, but one is a pastor of an evangelical church and the other is a pastor of a uh, of a very progressive Baptist church, or maybe they both have foster children or something. They have something in common and they bring them together and, and through dialogue and through a kind of active listening and here's what I heard you just say, they can come to different levels of understanding. It's intriguing me um, right now because I, I have friends who don't agree with me on not very many, I have to admit, but some who don't agree with me on all sorts of things um, involving politics. And I think it's really important to step back and to try to look at where people's viewpoints come from, because I think sometimes we assume it's different values. And sometimes I think the values are not all that different and that there's mistrust of authority mm-hmm. on both sides, right? Yeah. I mean, I know for the Trump years, I had this low-level anxiety at all times because I was very fearful and mistrustful about what our government might do in our name. And I know that sort of conversely now, half the country feels that way with who we have in, in, in control right now. But the underneath feeling is kind of the same. I don't know if they have my best interests at heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Have you seen, it makes me think of the Black Jeopardy sketch that Michael Che wrote for SNL. Do you remember that? Where Tom Hanks plays, um, he plays a, I can't remember if it was before or after Trump had been elected, but No, he, tell me about it. Uh, he's playing a, um, Playing like a, a Trump voter, he's got a Make America Great Again red hat, and it's Black Jeopardy. So it's, <laughs> for some reason, Tom Hanks has walked his way onto the set of Black Jeopardy, and he's playing Black Jeopardy, which is like Jeopardy, but with um, questions that are um, specific to the African-American community. And um, he keeps he keeps getting a lot of the questions right because he's from his he's answering them from his perspective and the whole joke is the is the way that his perspective which from a you know his from all appearances is is uh diametrically opposed to what uh the african-american players of black jeopardy would be thinking but they have they overlap on all these different things and then the the final question is uh, the final, um, not question because it's Jeopardy, the final category is lives that matter. And so they're, they're getting along the whole time. They're joking and laughing and getting along. And then 
Um, the uh, the final question is live. Uh, well, he goes, I'll take lives that matter for 300 or something like that. And then um, obviously there's hilarious uh, awkwardness and then the sketch ends. But it's really funny. So do we know those lives we'll matter? Uh, well, yes, we do. We do. Um, and well, Fred just texted it to us so yes, we can watch it did. right now. We have we have and the we'll, YouTube link right here and ready to go. Thank you, Fred. Our producer. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. You know, I keep thinking about this notion, not only of Adam and Eve, not to get biblical, not to get all biblical on you here, Gabby, but <laughs> this idea of celebrating freedom from slavery, which is, it's like life began, right? We have, uh -huh. um, in Jewish tradition, we have these different New Year's, New Year of the Trees, when we start reading the Torah again. But one of the basic starts where you hit the reset button and start again is when we are freed from slavery. And the idea that that could be so ingrained in Judeo-Christian in Judeo -Christian teaching, and yet the United States was formed in its, you know, from, from the 1600s with this idea that slavery was okay. Um, is just absolutely mind-boggling to me. You know, that, uh -huh. that what happened in Nazi Germany, they studied the Jim Crow laws. Are you, do you know yeah. that? It's, yeah, I do. It, it's just mind-boggling. So where do we go with freedom now? Well, How do we try to uh, preserve a pure definition or a, a, a purer practice of this word freedom that doesn't cause problems for another whole group of people. Because I think that's the bottom line. The Freedom Convoy, you know, it's it's fine if you don't want to wear a mask in your own truck, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. if you're going to go to a soup kitchen where there are vulnerable people, protect the other people. I mean, so I think that the first thing is... Uh, accepting that this is a deeply complicated concept and that we are likely going to be wrestling with it and that the wrestling itself is where I hopefully we're wrestling towards a deeper understanding or, you know, fum fumbling toward um, a better grasp of what freedom is and the work of working on it, the work of wrestling with it and struggling with it is um, inherently good and useful. So I think the first thing is, I think we get into trouble. I think everybody gets into trouble when we try to simplify anything so complicated, anything as complicated as freedom. So I think that's the first step. The second step, and so, you know, and acknowledging that it's going to be an ongoing conversation. But I think that seeing it as more of a system than as a a one-two transaction, I'm free, I get to do whatever I want because that just isn't sustainable and doesn't work and leads to anarchy and nobody wants anarchy except maybe anarchists. But I think at the end of the day, <laughs> they like the idea. <laughs> nobody really gets what they need in an anarchy, in an anarchist society. So I think that the best we can really do is uh, at least in the way that the world is now is accepting that 
everything is going to be a compromise. And you know what happens in a compromise? Everybody is a little bit unsatisfied. Um, but the idea is to move not just our individual freedoms forward, but freedom as a society forward. And I think um, going back to, I mean, for the, those of us who hold who hold freedom the way, you know, the way you and I are trying to, remembering um, the the line that no one is free until we are all free. And you know, it's so, so interesting. Yeah. In, in 1941, FDR made this State of the Union speech that talked about four freedoms um, mm. that we have. This is really kind of fundamental, two of which were individual freedoms. One was like freedom of speech and expression, and one was freedom of worship. So that's protecting mm -hmm. the individual's rights. But the other two were freedom from want and freedom from fear. And those mm. really require society to act in such a way that we are responsible for one another, mm -hmm. right? I can't protect my own, my own freedom from fear without thinking about the collective. So what he said at that time was that this is our commitment to freedom was in contrast to Nazi Germany, actually, mm -hmm. and that that would right. be the foundation of how to pull the country together, the New Deal, everything else that would follow to bring us out mm -hmm. of World War II and rebuild. And I think yeah. there are times when it makes sense for us to go back in history and take a look at what some of our earlier leaders said and see where that might apply now. And imagine if now we were focused on those four freedoms where people could certainly express themselves any way they wanted. And I guess that has to include spreading false news, fake news. I guess. Yeah. So, so I, to I think an extent. one thing that we, <laughs> mm -hmm. well, I think that something we have to remember is, uh, even F FDR, right? FDR. That's an F word. He, he was an F word. Well, it was an F word. Yes. Even F, when FDR said these things, um, if FDR were in politics today and he were exactly the same as he was then, I think there are a lot of things about him that that went. See, like I think he was talking about men. I don't think he was thinking about women's freedoms. Like I, the the context with this stuff is so specific and so important. Um, uh, you know, when we when we think about um, our founding fathers and what they meant, it gets there's a lot like it gets brought up a lot in um, especially an anti gun conversation um, over on on our side on the lefty liberal side. You know that they they were they were talking about muskets. They weren't talking about um, semi automatic rifles. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, right. But um, but they were also super sexist, uh, slave-owning white men who, it, 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 rugged individualism was an answer to, was sort of what we, was viewed as a solution to Nazi Germany, to um, so many things that were, uh, that, that were happening that were in direct opposition to what the United States has stood for in different times. 
But there's this pendulum, right, that's always swinging and the context is always changing and always shifting. And so it's really tricky to look backwards at what um, at what someone what was being done and try to apply it now because there's can't so I just much look at the top? Changed. I just want to look at the top level bullet points, right? Not yeah. not the subcontext, not even the context. Just right. look at the bullet points and say freedom from fear and freedom from want. What if mm-hmm. that was our driving force in in making legislation? I mean that. How would that impact the discussion of critical race theory in schools? Well, I actually saw a really great TikTok, which is totally where I get like most of my information these days. I will readily admit it. Um, So uh, I saw a great TikTok about how schools, they call it schools who are who are talking about critical race theory. Those are the schools that are not succeeding in teaching it because those that's a, a word for pe- critical race theory when people who are opposed to that, they hear that and they go, no, 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 can't do that. But schools that teach equality and equitable access and um, diversity who, who and know, inclusion and <laughs> exactly who know how to talk about diversity and inclusion. Those are the ones who are succeeding because really, are you going to oppose you're going to oppose inclusion in schools, and that's a much harder thing to fight against. So I I do think that I uh, obviously am a big supporter of critical race theory, and I do think that you know we should be teaching it in schools. I also think that it's like the word freedom in that people who people who want to make a thing about it hear a hear a I, I don't know I think half the people who are opposing critical race theory either don't know what it is or they think it's just making white kids feel guilty about being white and they don't understand the nuances of it. But it feels scary and upsetting. And so they're pushing back against it. And I think I think that if you're right, if we focused on freedom from fear and freedom from want, maybe we could all zoom out a little bit and be focusing less on our initial um, anxious reactions to um, to things that we're afraid of and think instead about protecting the vulnerable people in our society and setting it up a little bit more to serve everybody. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be hard though. I think it is going to be hard. I think it's a combination of increasing our compassion and reducing our feelings of being threatened and, mm-hmm. and, feeling and and the mistrust and Mm -hmm. trying to, as you said, zoom out, take a step Mm -hmm. back, take a breath, try to hear what's behind what the other person is saying and think of freedom as something that ultimately we all want, we all need, we all deserve within reason. Absolutely. Right. Uh, well, I think the nice thing, what's what's helpful about thinking about freedom from want and freedom from fear is uh, it helps us with delayed, with the delayed gratification of areas where we're not necessarily getting exactly what we want and we're not feeling free to do exactly what we want if we're able to also hold that we want a free and just society. 
I think I think that these are, I mean, it, it, not to keep bringing it back to raising toddlers, but it makes me think about, you know, explaining, if I were to explain to Anna, you know, in order for us to have a safe home, you have to listen to mommy. And I know that you really, really want to hold those scissors right now and that it would be so fun to cut the hair off of all of, all of your toys or of your head or whatever looks interesting in that moment. But trust me, you don't actually want to do that because later on you're not going to be happy about it. Like, that's all true. Getting her to hold it when she, all she wants is to put her hands on those scissors and do exactly what she wants with them is a challenge. And I think if I were to, if I, I, I my hope is that uh, the role of government in this metaphor that I'm sort of uh, sloppily trying to create is the 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 government um takes either keeps the scissors on a high shelf or says if you're going to have scissors you need a special scissors license and if you misuse scissors then they get taken away the bottom line is we're all toddlers right <laughs> yeah it really is true we are Thanks so much for listening to all the F words. We had so much fun having you. We would love for you to subscribe. Just click that plus button and you'll get us in your podcast every week, anywhere you get your podcasts. And follow us on social media. We are at all the F words pod on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. See you next time. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.